What's up, Hyperfascination? On this episode of the show, we've got a special guest, another member of the Carrie Scholl team that sold over 1,100 homes in the D.C. area and Florida uh, in 2021. Repeat guest on the show. Welcome, Peter, known as the Lead Eater. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Peter. Um, Peter Applegate, by the way. Peter, Peter, the lead eater is just a inside joke about yeah. an inside sales agent. Correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so Peter was on. Uh, you were on episode one ninety. We talked yeah. about making the transition from inside sales to outside sales. So, that, you know, inside sales. For those of you who don't know, that is what we call the people that follow up with the leads, make the outbound and inbound phone calls and, you know, book leads for the, the listing agents, for the buyer's agents. Um, you succeeded in that role for many, many, many years and then made the transition to outside sales, correct? Correct. Yeah. So on this episode, we're talking about transitioning from outside sales to inside sales. Bringing it back. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been with the team for I'm coming up on six years now. Most of that time is an ISA. And, you know, I decided the grass is always greener on the other side, went over there, and, uh, you know, realized I liked where I was at a little better. So, uh, well, it's, it's two different job types for sure, two different personalities. Um, my take on it, real quick, then I'll, then I'll get yours, uh, is that your, your inside sales agent is someone that is good at follow up, good at predictability, like, they, they have no problem coming in, calling for an hour, taking a little break, calling for another hour, right? Repeating this three, four, five hours a day of calling people and getting them over that initial objection of meeting with someone to buy or sell a home. Right. And it's different in a lot of ways, you know, versus being like a solo agent, because as a solo agent, I didn't really have an issue with calling. I mean, I had a heavy background in it. Um, but it's different. One thing I've noticed just from observing the, the industry in general is a lot of agents don't even take that step. Like if yeah. they're calling a lead, they're just like, okay, what are you looking for? Cool. I'll email you some stuff and let me know if you want to see something. Right. Um, and our team just has a totally different approach. It's like we're getting in front of that person. And if we're not, we're not spending a whole lot of time working on their behalf otherwise. Yeah. A lot of agents struggle who are good agents, by the way. They struggle with being an inside sales agent for themselves, right? Like they don't have the time, the discipline, the the routine, right? To to just get on the phones and, and call back people, follow up, actually overcome objections and get them to 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 you know come in for an appointment, right? Or or, right. or to meet with them. Well. Uh, Whereas they're good at holding the client's hand through the buying and selling process, which is in the residential side at least is just as much a emotional, tra you know, transaction, right. more so than the financial side in many cases, right? Like they're good at that, um, but there, there's there's definitely a sacrifice, right? A lot of times, especially when you're starting out and you haven't built up a team, you're giving up your nights, you're giving up your weekends. Um, you know, you're responding to offers or responding to new listings, um, right? You, you lose some control of your schedule. So while I think the upside 
on the financial side is greater for an OSA, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, ISAs can get into the six figures, low six figures, uh, maybe more for some, but, you know, definitely on the agent side, you're going to make more money, but you, you pay a price for that, right? So as an ISA, you have more predictability on your schedule. Yeah, you know, I, I describe it as uh, a higher floor and a lower ceiling. Um, so, I mean, you're guaranteed a first-year ISA on our team, assuming you, you work all 12 months. You're guaranteed 28000 That's assuming you bring this company zero business. Like, you which isn't the worst I say. No one does that. Won't happen. If, yeah, if, if you're bringing in zero business, you won't you won't be here twelve months. Um, frankly, but yeah, so it's like it's guaranteed. Like every month, you're gonna get that two k, or it's it's a little more. We bump it up a little higher at first, but you know, around two k, it's it's like the top ramen budget. Like you know, you'll get your rent. You can probably pay your car insurance, maybe a car note. It's not gonna be much left otherwise, but you'll be all right. Um, which is something you don't have as an agent. Like you might have weeks, you know, months where you make twenty, thirty thousand. You have months where you make zero, um, or well, you might. It's definitely an option anyway, depending on how you how consistent you are with your business. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I wasn't surprised for because I knew a lot of that going in was the um, the psychological and the emotional side of it. Really, is is dealing with with people's emotions and and that it is such an emotional experience um and something i came to find out is i actually prefer working with investors because that's much less the case in those situations it really is just do these numbers make sense and if so we're moving forward if they don't we're not um, yeah i i agree um that, that for most people the residential transaction is an emotional decision that takes a certain type of personality, right? Getting on the phone like an ISA does every day, that takes a certain type of personality. They're different. There's probably some people that excel at both, but most probably fall into one uh, of the two categories. Um, so obviously the first time we were talking about transitioning from inside sales to outside sales, now the other way around. So what for you, um, was challenging or, or that you didn't like about being an agent that, you know, now you're happier back in the ISA sure. role again. Yeah, I mean, just um, a couple things. One of the biggest challenges for me was controlling my facial expressions. And I know that sounds like a weird thing <laughs> to say. But just being on the phone, people say some ridiculous things to you sometimes. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And my voice doesn't give it away. But if you're looking at my face, you can tell I think they're full of shit or just <laughs> batshit crazy. Um and that's so something I had to become more aware of. Just when I'm, I'm listening to these people in person, turn, it's like they can zoom s- camera off. They can see that. <laughs> yeah. um, so being aware of that, and then just kind of like the, just the randomest things. Like I'm trying to think of some examples of like the littlest things that like caused me to not get a commission right there. Um, like they didn't want to deal with the hassle of repainting. It's like you know, it's maybe five hundred thousand bucks and and a weekend, some pizza and beer with your friends. Like it's not a big deal, but right, especially at those lower price points. Like if the house isn't perfect, overcoming that challenge, and it's more psychological than it is financial. You could break it down that it's not a significant difference. Like paying five thousand dollars over asking price brings your payments up about twenty five bucks a month. Cost you maybe an extra five hundred to a thousand dollars up front. Which is not nothing, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not much. But there are some people where it's just like a psychological thing. They grew up in some other market, and their parents were like, oh, no, you can't go over asking price. It's already ridiculous that you're paying $300,000 for a one-bedroom condo when we got our house for less than that. Um, So it's just more those barriers. And I found sometimes 
I had clients who were willing to spend more money on a property as long as they were getting it below the asking price. And it didn't matter the value there. Like there was a right. deal that was 320 and 320 was a great price. They didn't want to pay 320, but there was one that's 330, very similar, and they were willing to pay 320 for that because 10K under asking. Um, and just like the illogical things in this, really truly realizing how you know illogical people can be and that people don't make these decisions from a rational standpoint all the time. And a lot of times they don't realize how irrational their decision making is. And that, that is a, a hard process for a lot of people. It takes a certain type of personality to, to get through that repeatedly, right? Plus you lose control of your time. So what do you in particular enjoy now about being back in the ISA role? I'm really good at it. Um, so that, that helps. But uh, the structure of it, and that was probably what I struggled with a lot as an agent was the, uh, the lack of structure. Like I'd, I'd stick to doing my time block. You know, I get probably like five, 10 hours a week of calls in still. But like, what am I doing other than my time? There's like appointments that are getting scheduled by our ISAs. There's appointments that I'm booking myself. You know, there's showings and things like that. But how are you filling that time and using it well? Like I had a lot of free time that I was utilizing poorly both for my business and just for my personal life like i would have i'd look at my schedule and be like i have a lot of time to to do things but it's just so disorganized and so scattered and it's need to to constantly be available because your clients will hit you up outside of business hours they will go want to see something last minute um and that that's the real nice thing about this position is like I very rarely respond to things after I go home. Like I might mm. respond to an email or a text, but it's not it's not critical like it is in that other role, in the agent role. Yeah, so I, I think it really is two different personality types for most people. Uh, that being said, every agent needs to be good at being an ISA. And sure. In, to some degree, right? So for the agents out there that are solo agents, small teams uh you know maybe they don't have an isa or maybe they are still in an isa role like maybe they have an isa but they're still doing calls mm -hmm. prospecting uh what would your advice to them be on to how to get better at booking appointments on the phone for themselves or for their team if, sure if they're a small team owner so it, you know it's different if you're booking it for yourself or if you're booking it for somebody else and i think it's tremendously easier to be book it for someone else um and the reason for that is that you could dodge questions better like <laughs> <laughs> no it is like if somebody you know either they want to talk to you or they don't and some of the people that do they're like yeah you know i'm happy to talk to you but like we're, we're talking right now and someone will ask me a technical question i'll be like wow you know that's such a great question i'd love to set up some time for you to meet with you know my agent aaron johnson she's very familiar with that process she'll be able to go over all that situation so i'm not giving an answer to that question right, right? and it's because i'm not the one i'm not the best person to answer it but if i'm booking it for myself it's like i can totally answer that question in detail but let's do it another time it's just a little bit awkward so i guess the best way to overcome that if you're booking it for yourself is to find a reason for the meeting and you know you can get creative with what's that going to be the uh, the biggest one that I go for is that we have a ton of off-market inventory. And, you know, I found that it's a bit easier. I can't just email them out to you because it's proprietary information. But I'd love to, to sit down with you. We can go over it together or we can jump on a Zoom call and go over it. And that way I could actually kind of, we can go over and look at these properties together and I'd be better able to understand your thoughts that way. What about the importance of, you know, being able to talk to both decision makers at the same time? Obviously, 
not everyone who buys a home or sells a home is doing it as a couple, but many are. Um, you know, and I, and I doubt when they're calling in or filling out a web form, they're like both there on Usually the phone at the same time. Right? Occasionally you'll get them, but yeah, yeah most of the time now. So, um, you know, how how would how would you approach that on a phone call if you knew it was one person calling in but buying for you know a couple so, or whatnot? A lot of times you don't realize it right away. Right? I think that would be a, another good reason to actually set up a scheduled time. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it is. And that, that could work too. Um, if there's other decision makers involved, just being like, you know, I, there's a few questions you could ask and depending on the answers you get, you might pigeonhole yourself into a situation where you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, a good one is got to end, you know, is there anybody else's input would be important in this decision or, you know, and if they're like, no, like, you know, my husband will go with whatever I pick. Like literally he just, as long as it's in the budget, we're good. Um, that one's tough, but most of the time it, it's not a good challenge because they understand the importance of that. Right. It is a big choice, and they do need to all be involved. Um, a lot of times, though, you'll end up setting the appointment, and you'll get the time locked down, and then it's kind of like the uh, we call them by the way questions. And so there's a few of them. It's like lender pre-approval, but then it's like, hey, yeah, so you know, is there anybody else who's going to be involved in this process? Yes or no? Are they available at that time? And then if, if no, we're not sure, be like, okay, well, you know, we can set it up, talk to them. You know, we definitely want everybody to be involved. And if that doesn't work, we can figure out a different time. Or if they're not going to be available, we just change the time right there. Yeah, so I think that's another good approach to take to lock down that appointment if you're trying to book for yourself. I, I think another one, too, is to ask them if they've done a real estate deal before, right? Because maybe, maybe they've already done one, so they mm -hmm. think they don't need to sure. meet with you initially or that's not that important and I think I think it's important to explain to them that look you may have bought a house 10 years ago but that was a different market the loan regulations were different um, you know this might have been your experience with the agent back then but it's different uh, now and I can explain all of the, these reasons at our meeting right right so is that is that something you try to probe as well just to absolutely i typically an answer um ask the first time home buyer question before we get to the meeting sure because a lot of times that's a great hook for people that like most buyers especially first time home buyers they're not ready till they're ready like people go from being six to 12 months out to buying a house today right and i think that's a comfortable zone if they if you ask what time mm -hmm. six to 12 months well that's that's far enough out that i don't have to do anything right now but mm -hmm. it's not so far out that i can't imagine it not happening right so i think people like to kind of stay in that six to 12 month zone it's right? safe so, it's so safe. be skeptical you don't have to make a decision right? you don't they, have to they could buy like like right now if they say six to 12 months right, right? and the and way I and as an isa you have to uncover that yeah and well i mean the, even because we're always trying to get them sooner right because it's always like well what if you saw the right property but before you even get to that it's like you know I, I know you're not ready to buy a house today which is why it's a great time to meet so we could just go and educate you on this entire process so that way when you do see the perfect home you're not in a rush trying to get all these things in order you'll already have everything lined up so when when the opportunity comes up, and I understand it's no rush, you'll be able to act quickly. Um, and so, like that, that's a great thing for meeting because if somebody's not, our biggest hook is we have access to homes you can't see online. If somebody's not ready to act, that's way less valuable, right? Because right. they're not missing out because they didn't see it; they're missing out because they're not ready. Um, so it's just showing them the benefit of getting prepared early and being prepared. 
How many how many hours a day are you typically calling? You know, as an ISA. It really depends. So we do like one-off calls and we do dial sessions. And so dial sessions, we're using the Mojo three-line dialer three at a time. We probably do you know, 10 to 12 hours a week. And some days are a little heavier than others, but that averages out to about two hours a day. Um, And then the rest of it is a lot of like one-off calling. So we'll get a list of like people who signed up for our seminars and it'll be like 15 people. And so the reason we do some of those lists one at a time versus three at a time is a lot of it is either just low volume or the likelihood of them answering is really high. Right. When when multiple people are consistently answering a three-line dollar, you you piss some people off. so what's the um, what do you think the average time calling per day that I say? If I had to guess, I'd say it's probably three and a half to four hours. Yeah. Which like, you know, RISA is working eight hour days. So the biggest question I get is like, what what do you guys do with your time? Well, you have um, to organize, yeah, prep the calls, put the notes in, right? And like, there's been a lot of studies that say like three to four hours is is kind of what people can max out on anyway, sure. but then you need the prep time and the note time and all of that other stuff. Yeah, too. and it all and it's like, you know, I'm working throughout the day, but trying to articulate, I'm just at a loss sometimes. I, like, I promise we're working. I don't I don't know. Three, three <laughs> to four hours is a lot of calling. Um, my guess is the average real estate agent, on average, is probably doing like 20 minutes or less a day of calling. Sure. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, most of them probably less. Yeah, and it's it's funny. So we encourage like OSAs or sorry outside buyers agents to call, you know, on our team when they're new, and they're allowed to continue doing that. We provide them leads to call, and a lot of times people do it for a couple weeks to maybe a couple months, depending on how their pipeline's going, depending on how good they think they are, how comfortable they are doing it. But very rarely do people do it consistently. Like we have sixty buyer agents on our team. There's like I'd say there's probably five that get that much dial time in regularly. Well, it's it's hard to to spend the three to four hours a day that guys like you, girls like mm-hmm. you do, um, build up that pipeline, and then go service it as well. Like buyer meetings, seller meetings, listing appointments, you know, showings, mm-hmm. offers, inspections. Um, agents struggle with building in the one, even just one hour a day of calling, let alone you know, three to four. So if you want to really scale and build a real estate team, you're gonna have to separate these roles. You're gonna have to build out an ISA department. That's one of the things that Carrie and I and some of the members of our team will be teaching at the Hyperfast Summit in Boca Raton, Florida, February 1st and 2nd. We're gonna show you step-by-step how to develop an ISA program, how to get other people booking appointments for your agents so that they can do more deals. If you want to learn how to do that and really scale a business that will give you freedom of time and money, you need to get to the Hyperfast Summit, Boca Raton, Florida, February 1st and 2nd. Go to hfasummit.com for ticket information. Again, that's hfasummit.com. So back to, um, you know, 60 agents. How many ISAs are there? Or 60 buyer nine. agents. Yeah, how 60 many buyer agents. Right now we have nine. Yeah, so so one ISA, if you just kind of run the numbers on there, they can really uh, generate enough appointments for like s- probably eight to ten um, buyer and listing agents. Is that yeah, kind of what yeah, definitely you know, um, what the numbers are playing out here. Yeah. I mean, I guess you know it, it depends how many appointments you need for your agents, right. right? I'd say I'd say ten to fifteen appointments a week is a fair expectation. 
So, you know, whatever, I guess you got 99 agents, that's, you know, 90 to uh, 110 or so, 120. I'm bad at math, but somewhere in that neighborhood. So if that, you know, if, if your agents are good, need two appointments a week, that's 60. If, if they can go by with like one and a half. Well, two, eight, eight appointments a month. Like if you're getting, if you're getting two appointments a week from an ISA, that's, you know, eight a month. That, that should be enough for three or four closings uh, sure. on average, right? Um, a month once you build that pipeline up. So, you know, just something to think about when you're scaling. Like you, you, you need a certain amount of ISAs for buyer and seller agents. That num- the numbers might be different for people depending on what market they're in. Depending on what town of leads you're right. calling to. Um, you know, I mean, we have a pretty robust marketing department. We, we're not cheap on generating leads. So, I mean, if you're calling, you know, just straight cold calling expireds, um, FESBO, Circle Prospect, and those lead sources all work, but just tailor down your, your expectations for how many appointments you're going to, your conversion rate will be lower on those leads because especially Circle Prospect, and they just live in a neighborhood like FESBOs and expired. Those people are all motivated. They're all right. interested. Circle Prospect in, like you're calling somebody who bought a house two months ago. Like they don't want to move. They have no interest. Um which apparently is a level of interest debatable. I don't know. Um, <laughs> is that are you referencing the Grant Grant Cardone? Um, yeah, and uh, Jordan Belfort when, when Cardone uh, was on Belfort's uh, Wolf of the Wolf Den or whatever that podcast is, and and, and Cardone said not interested is a level of interest. I mean, I just I, I agree. I guess it's just a very low level, uh, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, fast, he's a fascinating guy, uh, Grant. We had him on, I believe it was episode number two, uh, if you want to go back in the archives and, and, and check that one out. And then we we also had him speak at the Hyperfest Summit, so uh, the first one. Um, but, yeah, that, that was an interesting point. And I, I guess with the, you know, a neighbor that bought two months ago is not going to move for, like, three, four, five years, um, you know, they might know someone that needs to buy sure. so, right? So that's that's another thing. Like if if the phone call doesn't lead to an appointment, you can ask for a referral, right? Or, right. And, and does does that and, does and that happen he, for you? Or yeah, no, it does. does. And again, and again, yeah. I mean, you know, more often than not, it doesn't, but it does yeah. sometimes. And I mean, I kind of reminded to something in your book, like um, gatekeepers, yeah, right, and the importance of that. So. You know, that, that's kind of the way I look at it, too. And, again, occasionally you'll get those opportunities where, yeah, they're not moving, sweet old lady, but she knows everybody in that neighborhood. She can tell you, oh, yeah, the Joneses, they might be selling. They're going through a divorce. Or, like, you know, and all of a sudden they just – they'll give you all the gossip. And that's the tough thing when you're doing these calls is sometimes you just have to let people talk about things that aren't pertaining to what you're trying to do. And that's how you make those connections because a lot of times it's like trying to determine quickly, is this person – and you know willing ready and able to buy a house yes no if no get get off the phone um sometimes letting them talk a little bit you know can lead you somewhere sometimes it doesn't but again if you're doing a lot of that cold prospecting sometimes it's nice to have somebody talk to you without cussing you out for 10 minutes so like just let it go and you know see where it takes you yeah the concept of gatekeepers uh works really well i, I did talk about that in my book the hyper local hyper fast Agent. It's a story about how I sold $22.5 million in my first year in the business. Uh, we actually are still giving out free copies of those to people if you want to go to hyperfastfreebook.com. Again, that's hyperfastfreebook.com, and we'll send you a free copy. Uh, you just got to pay for the shipping. Hyperfastfreebook.com. Um, 
so so let's talk a little bit about the different buckets of of leads that you call and the strategies you use, you know, and how they're different. So just I guess name me like your top three lead sources personally that you like calling and, and how they kind of differ from each other. Sure. Um, so like Zillow and Realtor.com, and I, I lump them together for okay. the most part. So there's like that, and then we're not. We're about to start doing it. Something called Teardown Letters. I'm really excited to bring that back. Um, but those are like letters to uh, small properties, small old homes on buildable lots. You know, marketing to builders that way. Uh, open houses is a good one. It's like with a lot of those, or at least the two of them, right? The two buyer ones, open house and ZillowRealtor.com. There's a high level of intent and interest, and those are the easiest ones, or the the ones I enjoy the most because most of the time they do want something. It's just convincing them to to work with us, right? Versus people who are just convincing them, do they want this at all, and then to work with us? Um, Which that would so you're, yeah, you're just, like they're not going on Zillow. To, to for for fun, right? Yeah, they they, they want they they want information. They want information, home, right? right? You just have to convince them you're the right person, right? And a, and a lot of times it can be challenging because they uh, a lot of people are ignorant to the business. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand how those companies make their money, right? Um, and a lot of times they're pissed off. They're not talking to a listing agent. Be like, oh, is that your property? No, like, so why are we talking right now? Um, and just kind of educating them on that. And there's I'm a, guessing those people, the off market, um, strategy works pretty well because they're yes. looking for something but if you tell them like yeah I, I may have what you need but you mm-hmm. may not be able to find it on Zillow well now they've got a reason to talk right and yeah there are a series of rebuttals you can use in that situation um, to just kind of establish yourself or position yourself I guess rather you know as the best person to help them and so a lot of times it's like yeah you know for that particular property we're not uh, a lot of times Realtor.com will, you know, connect you with top agents in the areas you're interested in. So I think that's why we got connected today. Uh, are you mostly just looking for properties and, you know, get as specific as you can in Roslyn, in Arlington County and wherever. Um, and then you just go through, you get the timing, you motivation. And if they say they're ready to buy something or act fairly soon, the way you could phrase it is like, oh, okay, do you, do you mostly browse on, on Zillow and or how, how, how else do you find properties? And that's it a roundabout way of asking if they're working with an agent. Mm. Um, but if they say, yeah, we mostly work on Zillow, it's great. But like, wow, you know, about 30% of our, our listings actually sell without ever being on Zillow. Would you would you Boom. be interested in Off you know talking pitch. about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of times you can kind of, it's funny because sometimes people want to talk to a listing agent and then they have no specific questions about the listing or nothing that I can't answer right. without ever having seen the home. And a lot of times so it's that sometimes it's they want to talk to a listing agent because they feel they know the property best other times they want to talk to a listing agent because they don't want representation and i think that's going to save them money by not having that so they're trying to cut you out because they view you as a middleman which to be fair i guess you kind of are but your middleman is negotiating for their interest now what's the difference between you know convincing this this zillow realtor person who who, who you know is interested in a home convincing them to, that you're the one to do it uh, difference between that person and the open house the open house um they're more likely to have an agent they're working with okay um and a lot of times so it, it's awkward because they've already had a conversation with our team most of the time right they spoke to whoever mm-hmm. it was at the open house so a lot of times they'll tell them something like you know i have an agent or i'm just looking i'm not ready to do anything they'll they'll give you whatever that initial rebuttal is 
So then we call and they're sometimes a little frustrated that that wasn't communicated, that they're not interested, they don't want to talk to us in whatever fashion they sent it. They were probably more polite about it than that, but that's the long and short of it. Um, so it's just kind of overcoming that. And I, I just try to pivot to asking them about the house. And the whole point of that is like, I mean, I'm listening. I hear if they like it, if they don't like it, what they dislike. But it's really just to get them talking about something that isn't why are you calling me. Right. You're, um, you're trying to find out, did they like that house? Are they really serious? What's motivating? What do they want? And then I assume once you figure all of that out, you're able to position yourself, the team, as being able to solve that need. If Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, the way I, I view it as uh, a reason for calling, like the reason for calling is to book an appointment and generate business, right? But that's not, that doesn't go over well when you tell them that. So yeah, the reason I was calling you to stop by our open house, I just wanted to follow up with you. It was very open-ended hmm. and just kind of get them talking about that because people like to talk about themselves. You let them talk for a bit and be like, okay, so you didn't like that house. Got it. So, I mean, if you found a home with that open concept in the extra, in the main level master in that same neighborhood, I mean, you know, is that something you'd, you'd want to move forward with? Great. We'd sell a ton of properties. We can get you out. It, it all comes back to that our, our off-market close, like 95% of the time. Uh, last kind of question on, on these different lead types. So the, the, the other bucket you mentioned was these, these teardown letters that were starting up. We did these a while mm -hmm. ago, bringing it back. It's, you're sending out a letter in a, in a neighborhood that's established, right? But there's older homes that are getting knocked down and you're building new homes. So um, how, do, how do you handle these leads? These people get a letter that says a builder might be interested in buying your home. Mm -hmm. um, how, do you, how do you handle How, do, how are these... This, how is this bucket different than the others and how do you handle it? So, I mean, it's seller focus. That's the biggest difference. But okay. it's they come in two different ways. They either call in response to the letter or there's an online form they could go putting their information on, right? So if they call in, a lot of times, so we don't, and a lot of builders in our market send these out to, depending on your market, this this whole concept might not make sense. You know, if land's readily available, you're not dealing with this. Most yeah, likely. you're probably not um, doing this in a track you know, communities where they're building track homes, like 300, you know, unit mm -hmm. neighborhoods. Um, th this is more likely an infill, like, urban or suburban environments. Sure. Um, so essentially, the, the message in the letter is like, you know, we have, we have local build, a local builder wants to buy your home. I'm trying to remember, I haven't seen it in a few years. You know, they're able to pay cash, close in seven days. A lot of, you know, real similar to a pitch you get from, like, Home buyers of America, right. yeah, we buy ugly houses, all that. Um, and these people, if they're getting that letter from us, they're getting it from ten other people too, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we're not the only ones with this idea. And so the way we pitch it is like, yeah, we work with all the you know top builders in this market, and so what we do is we act as an acquisition agent for them. So we'd be able to come by, have one person come through, and then they'd be able to market your home to all the different builders we work with and get them to compete against themselves to give you the best possible offer for your home without having to put it on the market in a traditional sense, no showings, no open houses. We just need to come by one time, look at it, and... Yeah, I, I think that's a great benefit to offer them and reason for them to talk to us, uh, vice a builder or a wholesaler. I think the other reason, too, is a lot of these homes people have updated them or kept them up or 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 they're not on a buildable lot or there's something that would make them uh not as good as a candidate to necessarily tear down but maybe better as a candidate to put 
some or in some cases no work into and list and sell and maybe that gets them more money now not everyone's looking for that some people might just want the quick guaranteed cash sale because they're just emotionally or financially or whatever reason done with the house but you know if they go directly to a builder wholesale they're they're not going to get the option of choosing from a menu of options that we can offer sure and i mean it talking them out of a wholesaler is real easy to do because the only <laughs> way the wholesaler makes money is if you sell the property for less than you should right there's no profit for them otherwise um but they could shop around you know they got nothing but time they could hear 20 different people's offers and and do it that way that's actually a really common rebuttal that we get though is you know maybe they don't need to tear it down or actually that's what we use as a rebuttal because some of these folks they're interested but they're like, yeah, my house looks like shit. It's awful. Like, yeah, you can say, hey, maybe we could renovate. No, no, you you need to tear it down. It's awful. Trust me. Like, you know how big the lot is, right? Like, why do you need to come meet with me? Just you, you want to make an offer? Let's make an offer. Let's do it. Um, and then exactly what we say is what you said. It's like, you know, a lot of times maybe we can renovate or use some of the existing structure. And a lot of times in that situation, the builder's cost is lower, so they're able to offer you more money. So by... You know, taking a look at your home, even though it is probably likely for a teardown based on what you're telling me, we'd love to just explore all options and make sure we're getting you as much money as possible for the home. Well, Peter, it's great to have you back in the ISA role. Great to have you back on the show. You know, I think it's clear if you're listening, watching this, that the importance of an inside sales agent, if you really want to scale your business, I think it should be the first or second hire you make. And then I think you're going to need uh, one ISA for every six to 10, somewhere in there, agents that you bring on. And again, we are teaching this concept at the Hyperfast Summit in Boca Raton, Florida, February 1st and 2nd. You can go to hfasummit.com for more information. Uh, Peter, I always like to end with the Hyperfast round if you're ready for some rapid fire yep, questions. Let's do it. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new agent? Have some money saved before you start. <laughs> what's your what, what's a mistake you see seasoned agents commonly make? Uh, prejudging leads, mm. like making a, a snap determination about someone without with limited information. That's a good one. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you've ever had in real estate? How'd you overcome it? Biggest challenge I ever had in real estate. Ooh, um, yeah, just I mean getting through the lows right mm. it's an emotional roller coaster it's funny i've had some of my best months followed by some of my worst months so it's just i guess getting in the headspace that the bad things are temporary and things do change but like your future the way i, I tell my team now is you know the work you do right now as an isa does not at all affect your pay comp paycheck this month like right. the work you do this month affects your paycheck three to six months from now that's a hard concept for some people mm -hmm. um what do you do when you're not working in real estate for fun uh mostly snowboarding yeah a lot of that. hopefully we got some good yeah, snow coming up uh what would you say to the real estate agent either solo or small team that is afraid or, or isn't making the daily phone calls hire somebody to do it for you i mean that's okay yeah you, you need to get it done yeah. yeah it needs to be done it doesn't have to be you doing it but uh it needs to be done all right last question where do you see yourself five years from now uh ooh, probably uh still here or living in the mountains somewhere maybe both we'll see 
All right. Well, thank you for being on the show again, Peter. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, ask you real estate questions, uh, or, or just uh, you on social media, yeah, what's, you, what's your pre preference there? I mean, you could join the inner circle. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Pete Applegate. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for social media. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show today. To all of our listeners and viewers, thanks for tuning in. Please leave us some feedback, comments, let us know what we got right, what we got wrong, and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit from seeing it or listening to it. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.